0: Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. We come to the ministry of the Word for today. And I want to pick up on the same stream of where I left off last week. I was so blessed... You know, sometimes you minister the word and, and, and you bless yourself. Sometimes as I prepare and as I share the word of God, first and foremost, I need to be preaching to myself. I need to be assimilating and taking to my heart that message. That's where it needs to come from, that overflow place. And I I was blessed in preparing last week's message. I was blessed in sharing it and in meditating on it again during this week. Uh, I. I want to carry on on the same principle. We're talking about the promises of God. And more specifically right now, I'm talking about unlocking the promises of God. How do we make the promises of God effectual in our lives? In other words, of effect. We spoke, and I want to just spend a little bit of time recapping on some things. We spoke about the difference between knowing about something or somebody versus intimately, experientially knowing somebody or knowing about something. Uh, the analogy i'm going to keep i'm going to stick with because it works so well is the analogy of playing the piano we all know we can you know we all know how to play the piano theoretically you push the buttons or the keys and they make a noise but the skill with which to do that is an entirely different thing i shared that my 5 year old is utterly convinced that she knows how to play the piano and she sits behind it and makes a joyful noise with much glee uh, joyful for herself But for the rest of us not so much and and the the truth is that it's the same for many believers with the promises of god we know about them but do we have the skill the ability have we have we learned how to walk in them in an experiential way in other words that it's not just something we talk about but we see the fruit of those promises we spoke about the fact that unlocking the promises of god requires a key and that that key is revelation knowledge remember in the greek we said there were two words for knowledge gnosis which means understanding or head knowledge versus epignosis which is revelation knowledge experiential knowledge it means that that knowledge that i contain is actually at work and producing results in my life let's go back to the root scripture that we read last week second peter Second Peter chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there. Second Peter chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 2 from verse 2. And it says the following: Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the revelation knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. As his divine power is given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge, the revelation, experiential knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and uh, precious promises that through these we may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And and so really, this is talking about an experience, uh, an experiential knowledge of the person of Jesus. That enables us to lay hold of and partake in his very nature, producing the fruit or the results of that nature within our hearts. A changed heart, a changed perspective, therefore bringing changed results. Peter goes on to say, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to this faith that you have, this revelation you have, virtue. And to virtue, knowledge, in other words, more understanding, grow in it, give yourself to training and and discipleship of of understanding what you are walking in. And to knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the revelation of jesus christ that you have so here's the point many of us approach the promises of god like my five-year-old approaches the piano we know how to, we know about it but experientially there is little fruit when we look at our lives and we compare it and we measure it against not the believers around us But we measure it against the word of God and what Jesus said, we see a discrepancy and very often what we tend to do is reason the the, the promises and the will of God down to our level to explain why our experience is what it is rather than allowing the word of God and the promises of God to be the yardstick or the measuring stick by which we measure our own lives and fruitfulness. Understanding that we can't get there on our own, but knowing that Jesus Christ longs to draw us up and into that place where we experience Him in all His fullness. And that's really where I want to pick up from today. I'm going you know we also spoke about last week uh, the vine and the branches and how the, the, the branches are, are called to produce fruit. that's what their purpose is, and that they can't do it without intimacy with him. But really what I want to focus on today, moving into into the message that God's laid on my heart for you today, is to share with you and to talk a little bit more. Really to reemphasize the point of this incredible invitation that God has given us into the promise, into his promises, into who he is and into his kingdom. The title of my message, if you like, you could say is invitation into promise. You see, the promises of God are an invitation into something that already exists it's a higher spiritual reality that god desires to make effective in our lives you see the promises when god makes a promise god is the same yesterday and today and forever he is unchanging he says a thing it is established for eternity so when god promises something and has promised something and has manifested that promise in the person of jesus christ and has through that through his death and resurrection made that promise available to every single human being that's why he says in, in peter we have been given these great and precious promises all things what is the words that he used let me go back to it he says god his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness in other words when the promises of god need to be viewed or should be viewed as an invitation into something that already exists and is already established and is already at work in the spiritual and in the heavenly realm that doesn't mean it's necessarily at work in our lives but the point i want to make is that it's not something that god needs to conjure up or that you need to conjure up it is there and it is at work and god invites you and i into this wonderful experience of his personhood and of his promises as his sheep and as his children. And I want to turn to you, ask you to turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Matthew as we're going to read a a portion of scripture together, a parable that Jesus shares about the kingdom of God. Matthew 22, and we're going to start from verse 1. Matthew 22, starting from verse 1. All the way through to verse 14 and it says this and jesus answered and spoke to them again in parables by saying the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding and they were not willing to come Now, let me just pause here. I want you to understand something here. This king has prepared the wedding. He has already sent out the invitations. So the people had already been invited. So imagine you've been invited to a wedding. All right, you get the invitation. You send back the RSVP to say, I will be there. Listen, whoever's at a wedding is quite a big deal. You know, one of the most contentious issues very often approaching a wedding is the invitation list. Who do we invite? Who do we not invite? Because we can't invite everybody. I always, I always, when we do premarital counseling, we, we encourage people, you know, you start by inviting the people that are far away who may not be able to come. Those you you'd like to have there or those you may need to have there. You need to invite them, but they may not come because they're far away. You send those RSVPs out, those invitations out first. And then when they say they can't come, you know who else you can invite that you'd like to have there, but that budget might not allow for. But the invitation in itself is an honor. It's a big deal. These people had already been invited. But you need to understand that in that day and age, you didn't get invited to a particular place at a particular day at a particular time. You knew more or less it was going to be this day. Uh, but you know, people didn't walk around with um, what do they call those uh, uh, sundials on their on their uh, on their wrists? What would happen is that the person would send out his messages and say, "Everything is ready. Come now is the time. Now is the time to partake. The wedding is going to happen now." Uh, and, I mean, even even in the parable of the of the uh, wise and foolish widows, what were they doing? virgins they were waiting they were waiting for the messenger to come and say the bridegroom is coming and so this idea that of of being invited and it's also kind of strange when we carry on reading this this um this this parable because it says that they were not willing to come so in other words they were invited they had RSVP'd sure thank you so much we'll be there but then on the day came The king's messengers came to tell them the wedding. It's time now to come. They they didn't want to come, and the refusal is strange for two reasons. Number one, because this is a royal wedding. We're not talking about just, you know, some some uncle three generations down or you know twice removed. This is the king's wedding. This is a huge, huge honor to be invited to a royal wedding. I mean, how many of you would like to have been at the wedding of William and and William and Kate, right? Or Harry and Meghan. I mean, it's a big, big deal. That guest list is a big deal. So not not only had they turned down a royal wedding, but they'd already said they were going to come. They were already invested. They were already committed. But when the time came, they had the wrong... There was something wrong. Their hearts were somewhere else. Verse 4 says... Again, he sent out other servants saying, Tell those who are invited, I have prepared my dinner. Those words are huge. In other words, there is something that is ready that I have prepared for you, that is waiting for you, and I'm calling you into it to come and partake of it with me and enjoy it with me. My oxen and my fattened calf are killed. And all things are ready. Come to the wedding. Isn't this a beautiful, just a beautiful invitation? Even though he, they're rejected, he says again, come. No, I really, really want you here. Please put down what you're doing. It's, this is far more important. Goes on to say this. But they made light of it and went their ways. One to his own farm, another to his own business. Do you see that? Each one went on doing what was important to them. Each one went on with their personal agenda, their personal business. And the rest of them seized his servants and treated them spitefully and even killed them. When the king heard about it, he was furious. He sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Let's pause for a moment. They were invited, so they were considered worthy of everything that was prepared for them. But something happened along the way to disqualify them. Their heart attitudes were far too wrapped up in themselves, in their own world, in their own little business, in their own agendas and affairs. And that mixture, that, that busyness with self, meant that they were unworthy, therefore unable to partake of the incredible banquet that the king had prepared wow isn't that sobering let's carry on therefore he said go into the highways and as many as you find invite them to the wedding so those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found both bad and good and the wedding hall was filled with guests but when the king came in to see the guests He saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to his servants, bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but only few are chosen. This is a very sobering portion of scripture. It is is a beautiful portion of Scripture when we consider the heart attitude of the king, his generosity, his desire for people to come and enjoy this very special occasion with him. But we also see, very sadly, how the attitudes and the hearts of the people were so wrapped up in themselves that they literally turned down the invitation. This is what Charles Spurgeon has to say about it. He said he came because he was about this man who was cast out the man who was not wearing the wedding garments he says he came because he was invited but he came only in appearance the banquet was intended to honor the king's son but this man meant nothing of the kind he was willing to eat the good things set before him but in his heart there was no love either for the king or for his well-beloved son isn't that incredible when I read that, it was such a beautiful summation of the heart of what God, Jesus was trying to communicate through that part, portion of the parable. In other words, he came for what he could get. It was a big meal. It was, a, uh, you know, this incredible extravaganza. Not only would he be able to partake of the meal, but he would be able for the rest of his life to say, I was there. I was at the banquet that day when the king's son got married. I was part of the special cho- chosen ones. And it, it was all about what he could get. It was all about himself. Like I say, this parable is a sobering warning for you and for me. It's, a, it's almost like a wake-up call. And this is why it's so important that believers understand, and that when communicating on the promises of God, that people understand that God's promises are deeply, deeply personal. They are personal because they involve him and his love and his word to you as an individual. They involve his son, the fulfillment of his promises, and they are, are made to each and every single one of us personally. The promises of God are not something that we can lay hold of by a formula. Do this, tick that box and you come into this and this is what you will experience. You see, if, if that is our experience, if that if that is our, our teaching, our expectation, we've, we've we made a religion out of God's promises. No, God's promises are of grace. God's promises are very and deeply personal. The promises of God are about far more than what God can do for us. They're about a whole new world that he desires to bring us experientially into through intimate relationship with Jesus. This is the crux of the message last week, and it's the crux this week once again. But it, it requires something on our part wedding garments now what are these wedding garments we see that there was a guy who was there but even though he was enjoying the feast he got thrown out the wedding garments represent a spirit of meekness and honor i want you to really understand that and, and get that what do the wedding garments represent they rip it speaks of the fitting attire the, to be dressed properly. Let me give you an example. For our wedding, we had a black tie event. We had a, a sort of a, a ball environment, if you like. Ladies came in their ball gowns. The men's came in their tuxedos. Uh, we had it at a fancy luxury hotel. It was a beautiful, beautiful night. We remember it very, very fondly. Uh, we'd like to do it all over again, eh? <laughs> Welcome to my wedding dress. So. We might, we'll get you a new wedding dress. Don't worry about that. we know no people's uh the point the point is that it was a black tie event guess what happened the same thing that happens at any black tie event these days one or two guys arrive and they couldn't have been bothered to get hold of a tuxedo some people didn't even wear a tie what does that say to me that is blatant disrespect clear and simple it is the height of arrogance to say, well, you want to have this thing, but I'm going to come as I am. Take it or leave it. I'm not like that. I'm going to do, I don't like ties. I don't like, well, they don't come. It's the height of arrogance to say, even though I've been invited and I've been asked as part of the invitation to come dressed in a particular way, I'm going to do whatever I want anyways. That's the absolute opposite of a spirit of meekness in a spirit of honor to honor means to to give reverence to the instruction to give reverence to the person and the meekness says i will i will allow myself to to be changed and conformed by it that i may resemble it that's the ultimate purpose of meekness meekness is a willingness to yield a willingness to learn and to grow and it's a willingness to take on board somebody else's way it's the fruit of submission. It not only says, I will do it your way, but I'm giving myself to learn your way, that I may not just do it as an external custom, but that I may do it well with all my heart. So it's, it's really got to do with the willingness within side. Meekness in terms of our relationship with God and concerning the promises of God is reflected through, number one, a willingness to trust. A willingness to trust the person of God and his word that he says that he is who he says he is and he will do what he says he will do. That willingness to trust leads to a willingness to change the way I think and the way I perceive things. I'm not here to say, well, this is who I am. Take it or leave it. I'm just like that. No, I'm meek enough to say I'm willing to change the way I do things and the way I see things. Which leads to a change in the way we live. Of the man who was cast out, Charles Spurgeon Spurgeon also went on to say, he had by his action, if not by words, said, I am a free man and I will do as I like. We cannot come into a new reality, into this wonderful realm of God's promises that he has invited us into with an arrogant self promoting attitude it requires meekness it requires change on my part you know what they say the height of of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result well that's kind of what we do with God and his promises I'm going to keep living how I want to God but now I know this thing about you and so I want you to do something about that part of my life in this particular situation it doesn't work that way I need to have the meekness, the willingness to be transformed. The more I am transformed from glory to glory in His, from my level of glory into the glory of Jesus Christ, the more the nature and the experience of Jesus Christ will be evident in my life. It's that simple. Turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 12. Familiar portion of scripture, verses 1 and 2. We probably have heard it many times. Therefore, I'm going to read it to you today from the Passion Translation because it says it. In a different way it just makes it a little bit more fresh um so that you know we can we can hear it with with new ears if you like romans 12 verse 1 and 2 paul is writing to them and he says beloved friends what should be our proper response to god's marvelous mercies what a question just stop for a moment think about that god has given us so much great and precious promises that are not the result of our merit or our good behavior, but because of the mercy and the loving kindness of God. What should our response be? What would be a fitting response? We've been invited to the wedding. Personally, your name embossed with gold letters, delivered by hand by the king's messenger to say, I want you to be there. I want you. To come and share in this banquet with me. What would the appropriate response be? He goes on to say, I encourage you to surrender yourselves to God, to be his sacred living sacrifices. In other words, don't be strong willed. Don't be so caught up in your own business. Lay everything else down, lay it aside that you may partake of this incredible, incredible invitation and live in holiness experiencing all that that delights his heart for this becomes your genuine expression of worship isn't that beautiful he goes on to say stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you stop it in other words change is required on your part and mine but be inwardly transformed by the holy spirit through a total reformation of how you think not just what you think." But how you think this will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. Isn't that incredible? You see, as I mentioned last week, the transition from knowing about the promises of God to knowing promises of god intimately from gnosis to epignosis from knowing about jesus and what is done to experiencing the fullness of his grace is it happens in the realm of application it happens in the realm of application an idea cannot become a right reality without the corresponding changes that lead to actions corresponding changes within that lead me to not accept where i am any longer to not settle there any longer but to actually do what it takes to lay hold of in other words i have to stop what i'm doing and go to the wedding feast enjoy the food and dance the dances it's why in the kingdom of god it's the action that counts and not the thought in this world we say oh it's the thought that counts no sorry it's the action that actually counts the nature of god is only truly discovered In applying the word that we have, the words and the promises that he has given us. It's like finally going for those piano lessons. You have to go and sit behind the piano with somebody who knows what they are doing. And little by little, learn. Learn the theory. Learn the technique. How the keys work. How the sharps and flats are associated with different keys. All the arpeggios and the octaves and all the various scales that you need to learn. And the more you give yourself to it, you become a better pianist. You're able to harness that gift that is within you and make it count, make it worthwhile. A couple more portions of scripture I want to read to you, starting from the book of James, speaking about applying these promises, uh, about not just knowing about them, but putting them to work in our lives. James in chapter one from verse 21 to 25, says this. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and the overflow or abundance of wickedness and receive with meekness. We have that word again. With meekness, the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Isn't this an incredible instruction in light of what we've just read? This idea of meekness that says, I need to receive this word in such a way that I'm willing to allow it to change me and how I think. That has the power to save your souls. But, he says, be doers of the word, not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Here's the deception. The deception, you can see it. It's in the the lives of those who say, I know how to play the piano. But then put them behind a piano and see what happens. It's those who say, I know Jesus, but there's no fruit of the spirit. They're walking in unforgiveness. They're angry and they're bitter. They're, they're backbiting and they're backstabbing. They're gossiping about everybody else so that they can look good. It's, it's, the fruit is, is incongruent. It says, receive with meekness this word, but don't not just in your mind. You have to put it to work. Verse 23, for everyone who is a hearer of the word and not a doer is like a man observing his face in the mirror. For he observes himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. We don't really have that so much these days because we're looking at screens. I don't need to remember what I look like. I can see. I But he's talking here about the truth of what his heart is like. He forgets because he's, he's, he's caught up in himself. We are so caught up in ourselves that the word of God, when it comes in, we see a promise. We see Jesus calling us into something that we don't have working in our lives. But yet, because we don't go after it and apply it and put it to work in our lives, we actually forget that it's not working in our lives and we carry on with life as normal. Folks, let's be honest, how many of us, day after day, carry on with life as normal when there are these incredible banquet promises that Jesus Christ has come to give us? Freedom from addiction, freedom from oppression, freedom from anxiety, true peace, true grace, true joy. But yet we know about them. We read them in the word, but then we go on with our day frustrated angry biting at our spouses shouting at the kids trying to make you know trying to cut corners wherever we can at work because there's something that in us that hasn't learned to make that promise real to us it hasn't found application yet but he who looks verse 25 into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work This one will be blessed in what he does. He will not be blessed in what he knows, but he will be blessed in what he does. And that word blessed, it's a big word. It really means he will be empowered by the grace of God to prosper in the thing to which he gives himself. Isn't that incredible? Jesus says the same thing. I'll read it for you just as a re-emphasis of the same point in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to 27. He says, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. What was the rock? The rock was not just knowing the word of God, but the rock was the rock is the word of God. But this man, he established his life on that. There was application. Who built his house. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, he says, he will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on the house and it fell. And great was its fall. Great was its fall. Folks, the winds and the rains fell on both houses exactly the same. One stood and one fell. Right now, if we look at the world around us, the wind is beating, the rains are falling. There is fear, there is division, there is anxiety. Who are those who are standing and who are those who are succumbing? The difference is not those who call themselves Christians and those who don't. The difference is those who actually have established experientially and applied the word of God in their lives. Those are the ones who stand when everything around falls. So here's the question. What part of your life, one area, let's just think of one thing. What part of your life are you desiring to see a greater manifestation of the life and the nature of Jesus? One thing. Perhaps it's your marriage. What's your marriage like? Is your marriage a picture of harmony and of blessing where you are as a husband, willingly and graciously cherishing your wife, laying your life down for her? To be a blessing to her and uh, where the wife is as well honoring her husband laying down her life and serving to be a blessing to him is that the picture of your marriage maybe that's the area maybe the area you need in grace is the area of self-discipline discipline to spend time in the word discipline to spend time in prayer discipline to not eat what you shouldn't discipline to get out and exercise, if that's what's on your heart to do. Maybe that's the area. What about overcoming addiction? Maybe you've been struggling with maybe eating the wrong things, addicted to eating certain things. Maybe it's cigarettes. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's things that you know bring sadness to the heart of God that you really desire to be free from, but you haven't experienced the promise of Christ's liberty in that area of your life yet. Maybe it's in the area of your emotional well-being. Are you struggling with anxiety? Are you struggling with fear or with depression? I'm giving you just basic examples. The area you may be saying to God, Lord, I really want to see the manifestation of your word in this area of my life is is unique. It's unique to you. But I want to say to you this morning that you have a unique and a personal invitation to the wedding banquet and which the experience of can deal with that condition or with that situation in your life all that it's going to require is a measure of meekness to lay aside your opinion in that situation and take on the attitude of God along with the actions of God that God prescribes to see the grace of god at work let me give you an example of our mar- of a marriage example okay perhaps my wife has said things to me or her attitude to me has been dishonoring or i don't like. maybe she's fully in the wrong with what she has done i know it's an example okay it's just an example couldn't possibly be now i'm going to talk to god about this what does god say to me michael I want you to love your wife and lay your life down for her. I want you to forgive her. I want you to forget. I'm not saying what she's doing is right or wrong. I'm talking about you and the attitude of your heart. I want you to go and treat your wife as though she had never done anything wrong. And I want you to go and love her and I want you to go and bless her. You know, I've seen a ma- I will never forget. There was a marriage that was really on the rocks many, many years ago. And Pastor Andreas walked a journey with this couple. And he sent the gentleman away. to to, for a season of fasting and prayer and god really dealt with this man's heart and he spoke to him and he came back a man with an a mandate from god to serve his wife and he came back and began doing things he had never done before he started doing laundry he started washing the dishes what's that honey she wants to know when i'm going uh he came home and did you know, he served his wife in any possible way. That marriage was completely restored and turned around because of the obedience of that man. I once did some marriage, marriage counseling with a couple and I got a phone call from the gentleman and he said, you know what my wife has done? She's done this and she's gone and spent money that we don't have and she's done this and she's done that. And I said to him, what would you like me to do? Call her into my office, put her over my knee and give her a smack bump. And there was silence on the other end of the phone. As if to say, well, that's ridiculous. How could you do that? And the truth is, you're right. It is ridiculous. What must I do with this information of everything your wife has done? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? My beloved, beloved friends. What are you going to do with the word of God? What are you going to do with the promises that God gives you in any particular area? all it's going to take is time in his presence where he says this is what i want you to do this is what i say concerning that and this is how i want you to work that out do you trust me are you willing to change your way of doing it or are you stubbornly still going to be there in your, with your attitude doing it your way you see i can't serve my wife in an acceptable way when i carry resentment towards her in my heart i can't bless her with a bad attitude I need to be willing to change. I cannot be stubborn. I cannot be headstrong. If I want to experience the fullness of the presence of God, and I want to experience the fullness of the power of his promises. Folks, it really is that simple. But you and I need to show up for our piano lessons. And we need to put in the practice. Because apathy concerning the promises of God and the word of God gets us nowhere. So here's what I want to leave you with today. What are the changes that you want to make? Choose one thing. Just one thing. And you know what I would really, really love? Here's a challenge I'm putting out to you. I would really love some vulnerable testimonies next week. To say, Michael, you challenged us last week. You know, there's this thing in my heart. There's been this attitude or there's been this thing I've been struggling with. And this week, I said to the Lord, Lord, I'm not going to be stubborn about this anymore. What do you want me to do? What does your word say about this? How would you like me to handle this? And I changed what I was doing because I changed my heart concerning that thing. I realized the way I was doing it wasn't getting me anywhere. And I embraced God's way. Folks, it's as simple as that. It really, really is. I said last week, God calls us to live a life that he knows we are unable to do. Therefore, he's given us his son, Jesus, that through intimacy and intimate relationship with him, we may partake of his power, of his grace, to bring about true change within our hearts and within our experience. God is calling us into this. He's inviting us. Let's go to the party. Amen? So I challenge you this week what is that one thing? What is that one thing? What is that one area? And what are you going to do? To do about it this coming week amen let me pray let me pray over this word before we just move on to communion father god i want to thank you for the greatness of your heart and of your love toward us i want to thank you that you have invited us into a spiritual realm a spiritual reality far beyond our wildest dreams and i want to thank you lord jesus that through relationship with you you have given us a means by which we can partake of that divine reality i want to thank you lord that every single promise that you give us is designed to stir and conjure up genuine faith within our hearts faith in who you are and faith in your word that you are able and willing to perform it for us and in our hearts and in our lives and so lord as we look at ourselves today lord i want to thank you that each one of us will have areas in our attitude that you have been speaking to us about areas in our experience of faith that you have been speaking to us about and i pray lord god for a special outpouring of your grace upon every one of us today that we would move beyond knowing what you want us to do and move into the 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 attitude that allows you to do what you want to do in our hearts lord god give us a spirit of meekness that we would not stubbornly insist on our own way but that we would willingly and joyfully lay down our lives lay down our attitudes that we may take hold of your instructions and your words and that we may apply them god give us your grace to apply your word even if it feels painful even if it feels uncomfortable let us lay aside all things that we may press into all that you have promised us, that we may step into a higher realm, the spiritual realm of spiritual reality, that your kingdom may come and that your will may be done in our hearts and in our lives as it is always done in heaven. Father, there is no other way to be salt and light. There is no other way to be genuine fruit in this life that touches and changes not only our lives and our loved ones, but the world around us. You are calling us up, Lord God. And today our response is, yes, Lord, I will come. I will not be like those who were invited and were too caught up in our own affairs. No, Lord God, we lay it down today. We say, Father, we step into all that you have for us. You be Lord, you be king. We honor you and your word and with meekness come and say, Lord, have your way in our hearts and lives. We pray this prayer today and we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your Holy Spirit presence. We thank you for your blessing as we apply this to our hearts and lives during this week. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.